badly in this lunacy. It was the Spanish ambassador, Bishop de Quadro, who refused to take it seriously. It came to nothing, but it was not forgotten. Sometimes, walking with her ladies, Elizabeth was more candid than she was even with her counsellors, perhaps because we were women like herself. On that afternoon, near the end of February, when she was strolling in the garden of Greenwich with me and Lady Catherine Knowles, she suddenly spoke of the matter. "'My father would have had Robin's head for it,' she said frankly. She rubbed a hand across her brow. Elizabeth was occasionally subject to violent headaches, and she had woken with one that morning. It had only just subsided. I sympathised, for I was sometimes a victim of the same malady. "'But I was loath to lose my sweet Robin,' she said, and then sighed. I had never told Elizabeth what I thought of her sweet Robin, but she knew all the same. There was still a line between her golden-brown eyes, left there by the pain of the headache, but she gave me a challenging look. "'He is devoted to me,' she said, "'and devotion can make fools even of strong men. He will not be so foolish again, nor will Sidney. Though Sidney meant no harm, he was only trying to help, however misguidedly, whereas Robin—' is ambitious. Ambition could have much the same effect as devotion. Dudley was probably drawn to her as much by her royal power and the dream of sharing it as by her slender, enigmatic person. Elizabeth, I thought, probably knew that too. Sir Henry came into the garden at that moment as though Elizabeth had conjured him up by mentioning his name. She raised a hand in greeting, and he stepped across the grass to join us. A neatly made man, not tall, but athletic in his movements. He had red-brown hair and a tidily trimmed auburn beard, and a liking for russet-coloured clothes which went with his colouring. He made his bow with grace, sweeping his tall hat from his head. "'Ma'am, are you recovered, then? I heard that this morning you were unwell.' "'I was. But yes, I am better now. I have been worried, however.' Indeed, can I help at all, ma'am? Perhaps, said Elizabeth, but walked on for a while in silence. Her long skirt, blue silk with little yellow fleur-de-lis embroidered on it, swishing gently on the scythed grass. Sir Henry fell in on one side of her, while Lady Catherine and I walked on the other. Lady Catherine was there because she was Elizabeth's cousin and one of her closest friends, and I was there, because I was soon to leave the court for a while, and Elizabeth said she would claim the company of her dear Ursula while she could. A chilly wind blew up and died away before Elizabeth at length said, I am worried because of that sorry business last year, when Robin thought of asking Spain to further his matrimonial aspirations by force of arms. Sir Henry went slightly pink with embarrassment. I much regret what he did, she said, not least because he may have planted a seed that could one day grow. It has been much on my mind. De Cordra did not respond this time, but nevertheless, would it not be wise to find a way of making sure that Spain thinks of England as a place too strong ever to attack? There could never be any harm in showing England to be a strong and well-ordered realm, Sidney said carefully. Or a solvent one, said Elizabeth. But we need subtlety. A parade of men and weapons could impress, but it's too obvious. De Quadra must not think we fear his master. We want a graceful hint. 
perhaps disguised as a pleasant occasion? We were being invited to offer ideas. A state banquet, suggested Lady Catherine, with costly entertainments and perfumed candles and a full array of gold plate. The good bishop has attended several of those already, said Elizabeth dryly. On one occasion I actually saw him weighing a gold dish in his hand, obviously wondering how pure the metal was. I half expected him to wrap it in a napkin and steal it away to be assayed. Well, I've heard that Philip of Spain has had some of his gold plate melted down to keep himself out of debt. Really? said Sir Henry. The council has not been told of that. It was a rumour, said Elizabeth, hearsay, but I suspect it's true all the same. My own position is happier than Philip's, and my gold plate is all as it should be. Yet a sovereign could keep gold plate for show and still have an empty treasury. But, ma'am, said Sidney, your treasury is surely far from empty. That is true, said Elizabeth, but the quadra hasn't seen it. There was a pause while we walked another ten yards. Then she observed in pensive tones, a well-filled treasury is a sign that a ruler can pay and equip an army. Display the treasury, and one would not need to parade the army. Yes, I will speak to my Lord Treasurer tomorrow. It was to be an informal royal inspection of the treasure in the Tower of London. The Queen would be accompanied by Sir Robin Dudley, by his brother-in-law, Sir Henry Sidney, by her favourite ladies, including Lady Catherine and myself, and by selected guests, such as the French and Spanish ambassadors. There was to be no ceremony. This meant, in practice, that Sir William Paulet, the treasurer, and Sir Richard Sackville, the under-treasurer, and a horde of minions, spent days in advance in the wardrobe tower, where the bulk of the treasury was housed, lining shelves with black velvet, burnishing choice items with soft cloths, arranging them on stands, which would display them to advantage, and laying strips of blue carpet to provide Elizabeth with a pathway around the display. It also meant that within the tower enclosure, the informal escort for the royal party consisted of the lieutenant of the tower, the gentleman porter, three yeoman warders, Sir William Paulet, Sir Richard Sackville, two gentlemen from each of their households, and two trumpeters who went ahead to announce the Queen's approach. There were a couple of page boys in attendance, too, to run errands, hold doors, and pick up anything that was dropped. And the whole business had been carefully rehearsed half a dozen times over the previous morning. Rehearsal was needed, though, because the occasion was unusual. Having once been imprisoned in the tower, Elizabeth disliked the place and rarely visited it, splendid though it was and is. It would be better named the Towers, plural, for it contains any number of them. There's the White Tower, which is the keep in the middle. There are towers dotted all round the huge encircling walls and over the gatehouse. And there's the Wardrobe Tower standing alone at the southeast corner of the keep. After a brief pause to take wine in the lieutenant's lodgings, and a side excursion, as it were, to inspect the Queen's jewel house and admire her regalia and her personal gold and silver plate, we set about the serious business of the day, which began with the gold and silver bullion ingots in the basement of the wardrobe tower. Please take care on the steps, ma'am, they're steep, Paulet said anxiously. Paulet himself was elderly and had rheumatic joints. He didn't come down with us. 
Sackville, however, though middle-aged himself, was fitter and acted as guide. Flambeau in wall sconces lit the way as we descended. Dudley, just behind the Queen, kept a hand under her elbow. Sidney stepped down lissomely, but the French ambassador almost tripped and muttered a Gallic oath under his breath, while short, dapper de Quadra murmured a warning to his colleague that the stairs were worn in the middle. The flambeau threw misshapen shadows which glided over the stone of the walls, and although the staircase was dry, there was a river smell about the place. It was cold. I didn't like it any more than Elizabeth did. It reminded me too much of an earlier visit I had made to the tower to see a condemned man. My work could send men to their deaths, and sometimes accusing faces appeared in my dreams. In some ways, I too needed to be harder than I was. We crowded into a torch-lit underground vault where ingots of precious metal were stacked like firewood along one wall. Elizabeth, oh so casually, asked Sackville what the total estimated value of the ingots came to, and then repeated the answer in Spanish and French for the benefit of the two ambassadors, apparently out of courtesy, but in reality, to make sure they'd got it right. Listening to this piece of dulcet political manoeuvring, I thought once again how weary I was of intrigue, and how glad I was that I would soon be on my way to France, free for a while to keep my nose out of other people's business. Indeed, I seemed lately to have lost my skill in investigation. I would gladly have left the court forever, except that I needed the money for my darling Meg. And if disenchantment with intrigue wasn't my only reason for going, well, the other was...